Today we're talking all about Bitcoin with my new friend Wesley Schlemmer, who you can find on the web at bitcoinbay.live. I know just a little bit about Bitcoin, as probably you do, just a little bit, but Wesley is a bona fide expert, and I wanted to get him on the call so that all of us listening can learn just a little bit about Bitcoin, how it can benefit, what it is not, next steps to take if you're interested in getting going with the technology. It's really exciting, and it's just getting going. I'm looking forward to this one. Wesley, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. I'm glad we can make it work. All right. I've already done a little pre-introduction for you. So our three listeners know where to find you. It's bitcoinbay.live. Yes, sir. Can you just give us a little background on yourself and how you got into Bitcoin? My background has nothing to do with this. I, I went to school for chemical and biological engineering. I spent most of my work life. I'm only 26, so I don't really have that much ex- history. But up until about a year ago, I'd spent all my professional time in bio research labs or like a clean room, like with chemicals. And so I was a chemi- chemical and biological engineer through and through. Kind of got disillusioned right before COVID. I was like, oh, they're just going to groom me to go work for big pharma or big oil. And I was like, well, that's why the salaries outside of college are supposed to be so high. So I didn't want I didn't want to do that. I'm young and it's easy to have principles. So I decided to exercise them a little bit. And I had found Bitcoin and crypto and stuff like that mid-college, like 2017. But it wasn't like, I was like, oh, it's another investment vehicle is what I originally saw it as. But during COVID and seeing just like the rampant authoritarianism and people getting their bank accounts frozen, I was like, oh, this is why this was made. People who actually knew about Bitcoin knew that's why it was made. That was just my kind of awakening moment. The first block in the Bitcoin blockchain has encoded in the message an article from the Times Magazine, uh, Chancellor on Brink of Second Bank Bailout. So it was made in direct response to the financial crisis of 08 and all the banks just getting bailed out off the backs of everyone else. It just took me until 2020, 2021 to see that. And then since then, I, I moved back home. I'm from Florida. I was in Boston. I moved back home last year and I started, uh, just, I started Bitcoin mining out of nowhere. I saw how easy it was to do one or two machines. So I was like, oh, I'll just do 10 now. And then I was like, okay, wait, no, this is a, there's a lot more considerations there. So I ended up having to build out a mine in a buddy's warehouse. And then I started going to the Bitcoin meetups down here, became instant friends with the guy who was putting it on and two other guys like my age were 23 to 28, hit it off immediately. And then we started a Bitcoin mining company together. So now we're actually going to be doing it at scale. And now I, and somehow I ended up running the Bitcoin meetups in Tampa. <laughs> Within this past year, I've just become... a I hate to say it, but I become a Bitcoin bro. A Bitcoin bro? <laughs> yeah, I don't bring it up when we're at parties or anything like that. But it was, I was always waiting. So I was like, so what do you do? I'm like, it's like, wait. And then people start asking me a lot of questions. So I do end up talking about it a lot, but uh, I'm not one of the ones, I'm not an evangelist. So it sounds to me like you have some principles with your work with Bitcoin. It, it sounds like you understood it the way that most people who have a just casual understanding of Bitcoin they see it as, well, the value is going up and it's going down. And it's just you invest a certain amount of U.S. dollars into it or whatever the government currency is. 
and then you can make a profit with it. But you realize that it's more, there's something more to it. It's actually an alternative means of exchange versus the government currencies. So can you give us just a little bit of a background? Because I think you're a little more well-versed on it than I am. The history of Bitcoin, it, we need an explanation of the blockchain because these are terms that people have heard, but we don't know that much about it. So if you just pretend that I'm five years old and I know nothing. So take us from the very beginning. I can certainly do that because you wouldn't be alone. So in the beginning, Bitcoin is not the beginning of digital currency or alternatives to state money. There's, there was the, there's the group called the cypherpunks back in the early 80s and 90s who were early cryptographers. And there was, so you may have heard around the way that code is speech. It's protected under free speech by the Supreme Court. So that case was actually decided back in 93. I might be, I might not have the years perfectly correct, but what was going on was the encryption methods that these people were using were weapons grade, quote unquote, encryption, because that's what the NSA and the military were using. And there's import export laws when things are weapons grade. But when you have the internet, there's no import or export laws. If I'm, I share my cryptography with the guy who I've been mailing back and forth with in Rwanda or wherever in the world, you're now you're now exporting weapons-grade munitions by cryptography. So that case got fought out via these guys and the cypherpunks. What a guy did was he printed the code on a t-shirt and went to court. He was like, what are we doing here? Is my t-shirt not my expression? Is this, what I can, this is my speech. So we won that case early on. And from those guys, there's a thing called the cypherpunks manifesto. It's a very short read. It's probably, it's like maybe 500 words. It's not the Unabomber's Manifesto. <laughs> it's uh -huh. a private, which is also a great read, but much longer. But it's about privacy is a human right. Privacy and secrecy are not the same things. Like you, like in order in our digital age that we're building, we need to preserve our privacy before we build ourselves into a panopticon. What is a panopticon? So a panopticon is an old Foucault philosopher thing where it's a prison where you, in the middle, you have a tower and the tower is the guard tower and it has glass and you can see all of the prisoners along all of the rings around it. So it's you can see everything, pan, all seeing, opticon. And people behave differently when, they're, when they know they're under observation or when they know they could be under observation. But we've pretty much created a digital panopticon via social media and Google and all the data analytics. So unfortunately, their message wasn't widespread enough. But they had iterated through several forms of digital. They called it DigiCash, BitGold. Libra cash. And what they did was, is they each built on the last one. And Bitcoin is like sixth or seventh in that line. And what it did was it took the things that worked from all of them and added a new thing called the difficulty adjustment to the mining. And basically how I explain that is you're mining Bitcoin. You are mining for, you're panning for gold. You're finding a lot of gold. People start finding out. They come to your river. You find less gold. The difficulty went up to find the gold because more people are looking for it. So the difficult, that is what the difficulty adjustment is. These other technologies, what would happen is it wouldn't get harder to find the gold. So you could, so the blockchains just started just, you have a scheduled up database update that started becoming very susceptible to attack with anyone with resources. The, so that was the technology that Bitcoin added. That's Toshi Nakamoto added to Bitcoin to add up to that. So. I know I, didn't, I haven't even gotten to the beginnings of Bitcoin yet, but I did just dump a lot on you. So I wanted to see if there was something you wanted to stick on for a sec. You did lay a lot on me. 
and I am a novice, so thanks for that. But I'm what I'm gathering from you is that these cypherpunks, they tell us about their ideology. Were they like people who have bad intentions, who are trying to get around the law so that they can do bad stuff? Or were they principled people who saw centralized government is an obstacle to human freedom, and this is what we're going to do? Tell us a little bit about those guys, because I haven't heard them before. I wasn't on these early mailing lists. So these were stuff that people were sending back and forth. But really what they were is they were privacy advocates and builders. And what they were saying was like, this is not secrecy. Something that's private is something that you don't want the whole world to know. There's a reason you have curtains on your bedroom. You, don't, you might not mind how, how your wife sees you, but you don't want to see everyone else, everyone else seeing you in that same way. But being a secret is something you don't want anyone to know. So like, Whenever you're buying a magazine with cash, that's a private matter. You don't, you're not like wearing a face mask. They don't like know who you are. But what these guys were was they were early coders and they were early privacy advocates. So pretty much what they were thinking was like, we can't expect governments, corporations, or other these faceless organizations to give us privacy out of their out of their benevolence. We need to defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. I'm I'm sure some of these people probably were hackers. Was Were the old bank robbers who burned mortgage documents when they robbed a bank, were they bad guys? So there's a lot of gray when you start to get into anti-state or anti-bank action. But I don't know uh, of really anyone who's called these guys terrorists or anything. Really, just no one talks about them. I don't know of any... I really am only really aware of their... So, so I don't come from a coding background, but I, I know their, their manifesto and then like their various technologies, are the, like how they are like as they pertain to Bitcoin. But pretty much what they seem to do is, look, we need cryptography. We're going to be the ones who are going to build it. Yes, people are going to do private, are going to use privacy for people might think things people might not consider nefarious or whatever. But there are other people who wear clothes because they don't want to expose themselves in public. So it's hard to say. This is early 90s. This is before I was alive. Early coders is just what it seems like. Those kind of nerds and their names pop up in further coin development. I'm going to read a little bit from the Cypherpunks Manifesto because I found it online. This is just one line out of the whole thing, but it says, we cannot expect governments, corporations, or other large faceless organizations to grant us privacy out of their bene- beneficence. You said benevolence, but it's actually beneficence. I'm correcting you here, Wesley. It is, it is to their advantage to speak of us and we should expect that they will speak. To try to prevent their speech is to fight against the realities of information. We must defend our own privacy if we expect to have any. We must come together and create systems which allow anonymous transactions to take place. People have been defending their own privacy for centuries with whispers, darkness, envelopes, closed doors, secret handshakes, and couriers. Technologies of the past did not allow for strong privacy, but electronic technologies do. So this they don't, it's amoral as far as their intentions for what they're doing, but they're just saying we have a right to privacy. It's just an inalienable right that is, with the internet, is definitely problematic in many ways. Yeah, no, and if you've been, if people have been following the these recent Twitter files dumps from yeah. Elon Musk, it just confirms and anything that most people who have been paying attention would have been saying, but been criticized for saying. The FBI one was it just dropped yesterday, and it's it just it's just emails upon emails of emails like, hey, it's the San Francisco FBI to notify you of these accounts that are uh, violating your terms of service. Hey, did you guys take any action on these accounts yet? Hey, thanks for taking action on these accounts, guys. Okay. So much for being a private company. We could probably spend all day on this, but let's go fast forward a little bit to the actual start of Bitcoin. You've already touched on it a little bit, but talk, take us through the founding and et cetera. 
early Bitcoin days, like I said, it started coming out of the 08 financial crisis. Hal is a guy who is on the cypherpunk, who was, who was a cypherpunk. So these early guys do stick around and show up and develop and continue to develop. So early on, they have the Bitcoin white paper gets released in 08. And the first block is generated sometime after June of 2009, where that headline was. I kind of forget. It was January 3rd, 2009 was that headline of the chancellor on bank on brink of bank bailouts. And so it dropped and sat there for a couple, for a little bit. In the early days, you could still mine Bitcoin on your computer and you'd be making 50. If you found the block, you'd make 50 Bitcoin as a reward. Now that amount is 6.25, which is due to something called the halving, but we'll get to that when we talk more about the blockchain. And nothing really happens in Bitcoin for a while. There's a little bit people are, you have to mine it or buy it from some guy online. The first time it got used, which if you are ever go to our website and you scroll all the way down, there's a little fun fact. The first use of Bitcoin that for retail purchase was that ever happened was on May 22nd in 2010. And some guy spent, I think it was like 20,000 Bitcoin for a pizza. 20,000 uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, he was. He posted on one of these forums like, "Hey, who will buy a pizza with these specific? You know, who will order me this kind of pizza to this address? I will give you twenty thousand Bitcoin." So that gave Bitcoin its first price in U.S. dollars, and it was less than a penny per coin. So, right. So through that, it starts getting a little more adoption, a little more spread. And then you start having the big exchange hacks. With Mt. Gox was probably the most famous one that people might have heard about. That was the one of the first ones. And that actually has just now started going through the Japanese bankruptcy. So people who have been holding their, who have been had their, who got their funds hacked back in 2013, I think is when it was, might now in 2022 be getting paid out in yen instead of Bitcoin. And it's not going to be a highly doubt they're adjusting for inflation or Bitcoin price appreciation. So things kind of keep moving from there. And then you get to... The block size wars in 2017, which is I entered right after those, and I had no idea what had just gone on. But uh, I think for that to make sense, it's probably good to talk about the actual blockchain because the, the beginning of really like Bitcoin came with a splash, and then it just simmered under the surface for a while. Um, but so the blockchain, it's a can be also described as a distributed ledger. It's a method for consensus gathering. If you have a page in a book. If each line is a transaction, what the miners are doing are attempting to listen for people reading out their transactions and, and inscribe that in the page, which would be the block. And while they're doing that, they're trying to solve the Bitcoin algorithm, the hashing algorithm. It's weapons grade NSA level encryption. It's called SHA-256. It's what your bank account uses. It's what it's what at any time you enter a password into something, it's probably using SHA-256 to encrypt whatever that is, it's like extremely difficult to break, especially when you have a, a, a computer network the size of Bitcoin. So this is where the difficulty adjustment comes in. The more people that are trying to do this, the harder the algorithm gets to solve. Like you do, it, it's, you're looking for what's called a nonce, which is just a set of numbers with a following set of zeros. So the more zero there are, the harder it is to find the correct number. And so that's how the difficulty gets put into the blockchain. As the miners are hashing, getting all the transactions put together in a block, there is one megabyte of data storage on each block. So if your transactions don't, if your transactions don't have, what they do is they group them by fee. So if you pay a high fee, yeah, I'm, I'll put you in front of the line. So as those transactions fill up over a space of what's targeted to be 10 minutes, 
and it, or until it gets to one megabyte, then nothing more gets added to the block. But it still has to get. It still has to wait until someone actually solves that problem for the block. And then when they do, they stamp it on the next one. That's the blockchain. And then you go through the next and you go through the next transactions. Which one had the highest fees? So that's when pe when some people mention that Bitcoin is expensive and slow. What they're talking about is these fees that may be high, but I and you can send 17 cents on the blockchain and it cost you a penny, or you can send someone sent 2.2 billion dollars and it cost them seven, seven pennies, uh, seven cents, or seven dollars, seven dollars, seven dollars to send 2.1 billion dollars. Yes, wow, and it confirmed and was in their account in the next block, which is a target of 10 minutes. Sometimes the way you know random numbers work is that you might end up with a block and then nothing for 16 minutes and then block and then maybe nothing for an hour and then block 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 and so what they do is they target for an average block that time of 10 but yeah there's no waiting for wire next business day still cheaper than the wire a wire fee is like 25 bucks so when people say that it's slow and expensive waiting 10 minutes for us as a consumer is slow you're not going to wait at the restaurant for 10 minutes unless you paid and then went and ate and they're like okay yeah you can leave now um you know, like we're used to handing cash or swiping a card. But that merchant isn't getting, if you swipe a card, that merchant isn't getting your Amex money for 45 days. So it's actually incredibly slow. For 10 minutes, cash finality in your wallet is amazing for businesses. What happened in 2017 was these things called the block wars. The, some people were like, Are, it's too slow. It's too expensive. We can't use this for merchant adoptions. No one's going to sit at the counter and wait 10 minutes for the thing to go through. So what they advocated for was increasing the block size. And that is how you get Bitcoin cat. They ended up forking the Bitcoin blockchain and they kept the same algorithm. So Bitcoin miners can mine Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin core, but they doubled their block size. So you can now fit twice as many transactions per block. So that helps. That does help for merchant adoption. What does it take down to five minutes versus 10 minutes because it's doubled in size or? You know, I actually don't really know much about Bcash, but I think it, it's more that more transactions get included every 10 minutes then the blocks have been, so twice as many transactions could be included. And I think they did some rejiggering to lower the fees, but I'm not, I'm not a comp side guy. I just play one on TV. And they had their whole little feud as well. And there's another Bitcoin BSV that Satoshi's vision that they forked off of them as well. So these things have forked. Litecoin did the same thing in 2017. It forked off of Bitcoin and it had a shorter block time. It had a five minute block time and a larger block size. So it was faster and cheaper to use. Ethereum came out of 20 in 2017 as well because on bitcoin you it was very difficult or you really couldn't do what are called smart contracts which i'm going to get torn apart if a real developer ever hears this so it might not technically be the smart contracts but you couldn't do decentralized apps on them like nfts stuff like that those things like DeFi, all of these staking and lending platforms that people wanted to do so ethereum was made more to be a computing network than it was made to be a money like Bitcoin is. Bitcoin at its simplest, it's just sound money. And then there is also a network that is that money is built on. So there's Bitcoin, the token, and then there's Bitcoin, the network. You can move US dollars by settling on the Bitcoin network. That's not the pure way of doing it. Some people, it's cheaper and faster for a lot of people. And the token is governed by sound money mechanics. But So we're in 2017 now. So we've, we've gone uh, 10, seven years into the future. So do you got any questions on any of that stuff? Let's talk about what makes Bitcoin sound money. First of all, if you can just give us a primer on what is sound money, and then if you can give us some comparisons as to how Bitcoin 
fits the bill when it comes to sound money. I'm going to take my definition of money from this book called The, the Bitcoin Standard. It's It was written also in 2017 by Dr. Saifdeen Amus. He is a, I believe he's a economics professor and also just like he's got a good podcast with freeman it's three hours it goes over the whole book but so what he does in there is it goes through the history of them so that's where i've been drawing that's where i draw this from but money has got its three main characteristics are it's a medium of exchange it's a store of value and it's a unit of account i can and the u.s dollar is a medium of exchange and a unit of account and it's a pretty bad store of value gold is a good store of value. It's pretty poor medium of exchange and a pretty poor unit of account. Since Just because no one's had a... Our grandparents haven't even thought about a gold standard or pricing things in gold. So it's been bred out of us at this point. Uh, Bitcoin is a fantastic medium of exchange and a fairly decent store of value, even with the past year and price drop. I mean, it, from 20... It was three. It was 3,000 a coin in 2020. So we're still up five times in two years. But it's not a very good unit of account. Oh, I'm sorry. What Can you explain what is a unit of account? Sorry, this uh, this bag of apples is five. My gallon of gas is $3 a gallon. So uh, whenever you, people know what you generally are, what you mean when you put a price tag on it, okay, it's worth about this much. But with Bitcoin, oh, okay, this gallon of gas is 0.0000839 Bitcoin. Then there are things called sats, which are like the pennies on Bitcoin. It's 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. It's 80,000 sats instead of 0.0008. So it's just kind of way. It's, it's not, so it's not a very good unit of account because no one knows the pricing in a Bitcoin. If the lights go out tomorrow, you can't go to a farmer's market and tell them I'll take a watermelon for 40,000 sats. They're like, what the hell are sats? But the characteristics of money, so that, that's like what makes up, there's like the three of money. But then its qualifiers are, is it durable? Is it fungible? Is it divisible? Is it portable? Is it scarce? And so monies throughout the years, and in the Bitcoin standard, it walks through people who are using massive stones on these certain islands, seashells, glass beads, and then eventually gold. That was one of the way I was one of the ways Europe was able to take over Africa and the Americas was they had glass blowing manufactories. So they the tribes are trading them in beads and they're like hell yeah, we'll buy this entire East Coast for a bunch of beads. Sure, we'll have them on the next boat over. So that's what happens whenever that was no longer scarce. So those those beads, they probably weren't very durable, but they were fungible and divisible. Maybe you had blue ones were worth five times as much as green ones or something like that. And they're portable, they're bags of beads. And they were scarce because it was very difficult for them to make them. Same thing with the seashells. Europeans came in and started just trawling the ocean floor and just like you guys want these okay here you go thanks for the island it deleted the scarcity aspect and gold standard very durable fungible divisible ish that's where kind of copper and silver coins would come in and it would lower down the value increments it's not very portable there's a stories of shipwrecks all over the, the gulf coast and mexico of losing shipments of gold and spanish things so there's a real cost in moving that money portably and moving the money across the world it was very scarce, though. And that's something that comes as called, there's a concept called stock to flow ratio. What is the current supply of my money? And what is the inflow? How often are we mining more gold? How often are we finding these shells? So with gold, it has such a massive stock. It is extremely difficult to increase the stock to flow ratio by increasing the flow. Or decreasing. You want a high ratio. With the beads, it was difficult until the Europeans fired up kilns and then the flow overtook the stock. So that's the scarce. And so where Bitcoin comes in, or okay, I'll start with fiat from gold. So the reason fiat did so well was 
when, especially when it was tied to a gold standard, you start printing paper money or promissory notes, you've made this kilogram bar of gold much more portable. It's way easier to just mail some dude some, some pieces of paper than it is to send him a whole shipment of gold. Fiat money didn't come out of nowhere. There wasn't not a market demand for it. Like it did help because these things were redeemable for gold. That's when it works. But as you start, as Machiavellians get more money and they start seeing what they can do with funny, oh, less than half the people ever actually withdraw their gold from our bank. Blend it out. So then you start having more paper in circulation than the gold, and then you have bank runs, and then France wants to wants all of its gold back from us, and they send a ship over to us to take it. We tell them to fuck off, and we close the gold window in 71. Or, I'm sorry, excuse me. I don't know if this is a family show, but I shouldn't have said that. They tell them to kick rocks, and they send them back on their way, and they close the gold window. So that is when we really started getting fiat money. So it no longer became scarce. And it also wasn't really durable with paper money. So... When that happened, we like the quality of the money dropped. And so Bitcoin comes in and it's the three pillars might not be perfect. It might not be a great unit of account yet, but it's extremely durable. It's the world's largest computing network. You're going to have to EMP the whole planet. They are fungible. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. doesn't matter who you got it or where it went. Unless you're a regulated entity, you might not like it that someone bought drugs with it at one point. A lot of the early market was through dark web markets. And if you're a Coinbase, you might not want those on your exchange. So there's like a non, there's a way to restore fungibility though, through more advanced methods, but I won't let that derail us. It's divisible down to 100 millionth of its current size. And it's portable. I had, I had a guy that I've been teaching Bitcoin to. He is in Eastern Europe. Yesterday he paid me and it was in my wallet within two minutes from Eastern Europe. Without a regular, without a middleman, without mailing me anything, so I'd say it's pretty portable. It's also it's you rem- you can remember your seed phrase and just carry it around in your head. But it's as portable as your phone, a computer, a thumb drive, or your memory, and it's scarce. There, algorithmically, cannot be more than twenty one million Bitcoin ever, and we will hit the twenty one millionth Bitcoin in twenty one twelve, and not my problem time. <laughs> essentially but we're already at 19 million has been issued the way the the having I, I guess that so I, I didn't touch on that during the blockchain or the this also affects the stock to flow ratio of bitcoin early on you're mining 50 bitcoin every 10 minutes and then every i believe four years yes every four years the flow cuts in half so then it was 25 and then 12.5 now we're on 6.25 and in 2024 we'll be at 3.125 and then so on. And it does that. So it's that nice little curve up until 2020, until 2104, after, until after the, after the 22nd, the turn of the 22nd century. And so at that point, no more new Bitcoin will come in to circulation. You know, that, that helps with the scarcity, I'd say. And plus people have, what if you consider all of the lost coin, that might, that could be up to 4 million coin. There might only actually be 15 million coin in circulation. If I could interject some commentary yeah, here. Yeah, please. Because <laughs> I, I, I've heard about Bitcoin for probably 10 years. And so I purchased a couple of Bitcoin back in the day. And this is, let my folly be your lesson. If you're going to get into Bitcoin, you have to remember your password. If you have, I had a like a blockchain app. I don't even remember what I had. But I purchased two Bitcoin. 
and this is when it was maybe two or three hundred dollars. This is 2013, 14 time frame. So Bitcoin is maybe I think it was maybe six hundred per Bitcoin at the time, whatever it was. So it's definitely affordable. And then my iPhone got broken, like I shattered the screen, had to do a factory reset, and I didn't save my password for this app. And if you forget your Amazon password, you just type in your email address, they send you a new password. Not so with this app. I didn't write it down. I didn't have it. I made the mistake of assuming that it would still be there. It would be recoverable. It is not recoverable. There are two Bitcoin out there that I purchased that will never, ever be recovered. And so I look at the price of Bitcoin 10 years later, kicking myself. And by the way, the the 20,000 Bitcoin that was paid for that pizza is now worth $320 million at today's price. So yeah. just... Yeah, hit a billion or a year ago, but he helps develop the programs that help you mine on your computer. So I don't think he's too upset. I think he had plenty of coin. <laughs> but thank you for your donation to the network. That is one of the, that is many such cases. That is one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of people is the self-responsibility. There is no forgot your password. I literally, I have, this is a stack of washers and I take a stamp, a metal stamp, and I'm I took my 24-word seed phrase, which is different than when you started. They didn't have seed phrases back then. I take that backup phrase and I literally stamp it into steel. I have it written down on paper. I keep it in my safe. I take, I keep this thing in steel and I freaking go bury it somewhere. I put a jalapeno plant on it or something. Because, yeah, it happened to my sister. Same thing. It's, ha it's happened to me. I've lost some as well. So it's not for people who are not used to taking responsibility, which like isn't necessarily most people's fault. The incentive structures and our current way of life has removed the need for self. Th there are certain things. There are certain things that and otherwise. There are certain things that we take for granted when it comes to the internet and privacy. If you lose your password, it's recoverable. So it's not. It's not like you're lacking. It's not like you're a child. You just know if I forget my password, then I can just reset it. But that was that is not the case with Bitcoin. So no, it, so it definitely... that is the case with exchanges though. If you have a Bitcoin exchange and you leave your coin on an exchange, yeah. and then they're because they're custodying it for you is only is that where that comes from. So they own it, and or you own it, and they're just taking care of it. Yeah, it's a, it, it, you have a promissory note to okay. Bitcoin. All right. we so should, I don't recommend anyone hold it on exchanges. But. We should talk about that in a little bit because we just had some news. Bitcoin has been in the news because of the, I think, it, what is it, the FTX that went bankrupt? All right. Well, let's just jump into that because I know that people are thinking Bitcoin might sound attractive to them, and but then they get scared off by all this news about FTX. And of course, the government say, what are you thinking to go with Bitcoin? You should just use our fiat currency that it's got its flaws, but at least you can't, you can't, do what these folks with this FTX did. So talk about yeah, what I mean, happened. Yeah, which, yeah, it was a Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff was a Ponzi scheme. Freddie May and Fannie Mac and Freddie May. These things do happen in fiat, and they have dozens of times. So these regulators hand-wringing over this, I'm just like, get out of here. You guys are so pure. But my, my personal beliefs on that aside, this is not new. This is what we call custodial risk. This is why it's better for you to write down your password three different places than it is to just trust that FTX is going to keep your money. 
they had, I believe it was $1.4 billion worth of Bitcoin that customers were, were leaving on their exchange. And they had precisely zero Bitcoin in custody. So they didn't have anyone's money. They were just running a full-on Ponzi scheme. If you wanted to withdraw, they would buy it and let you have it, so long as they were liquid. And in a bull market, when all the numbers are going up, you can do financial jiggering to get your books up. But and that's what happened six months ago with Celsius. They were the first. They were the thing that set. They were actually they weren't even the first one. There was a stable coin that someone was trying to make always worth a dollar. And what they were doing was, was they were leveraging out their token to everyone, having people hold it. And then if that price tanked and then they had to liquidate this and then do that. And then Celsius over here had was another exchange and they had their token and they were holding people have hold their token. And as long as their token price went up, they could take loans on that token. And they were just doing a bunch of fiat nonsense. They that first one, Luna, that blew up, that brought down Celsius. Celsius lost people, declared bankruptcy. I know people who have their funds locked on Celsius. They can't get it off. There went $4,000 for a random person who put in a 1500 and thought they had made some decent money for once. Poof. So what FTX started doing is going around and vacuuming up all of those companies that were shaken by that event. And what they did was they gave them their token. They gave them the FTX token and they made them hold that. And they leveraged on that. And, and they did the exact same thing, just on a larger scale. And then what happened is Binance, the largest exchange in the world, they have their own token network. He see, The CEO sees it and he's, wait, I am holding a big old bag of hot air that people think is worth something still. So he dumps it on the market. The price tanks. It goes below their FTX's margin call lines. They have to start liquidating stuff. They, have, they are liquidating customer funds. They're handing out billion-dollar loans to the CEO. They're buying his parents' property. They're donating tens of million dollars to people who are over there. They were just, it was a fraud. It was just outright fraud. These people didn't have the money and were just leveraging up to the gills off of their own token. They're li quite literally getting high off their own supply. And then they, got, they came with a supply shock, and poof, there went all their value, and we're up to, I think, $180 billion in total losses. Oh, my God. $180 billion. That's a lot of pizzas. It's about, yeah, it's about a third of the way to the Lehman Brothers. They were $600 billion. Granted, that money was worth a little bit more back then, but uh, still. I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, cash in their Bitcoin for U.S. dollars. They would just buy it from somewhere else? Where would they buy it from? There, there was an active, so they were also an exchange. So they were, there was active open orders on their exchange for Bitcoin and such. So they could just place an order on their own exchange and then buy it from someone who was selling it. But so what they, what, how they're able to do this is what they did was like, okay, we have four, four dozen coins on our exchange and people have this many, we have this many promissory notes for them. And there are, that's all worth, let's just say $20 billion. We have our own token and our own lending things and this, that, or the other. And we have that backed up with things that are worth $20 billion. But as soon as their token price crashes, 99%, so they didn't have anything valued in dollars anymore. They had nothing, they had nothing that they could swap. What they could do is they used the exchange token as they used their token as an exchange token. People could use their pay their exchange fees in that token. So it made them hold it and then they would get the tokens back and they, so they could take that token and then buy Bitcoin with it. Yeah, no, crazy. 
the guy who was in charge of unwinding Enron, uh, which was a little bit before my time, but I, is in the collective psyche is one of the worst frauds in American history, is I can't believe they got away from it this long. <laughs> like even he's shocked at what he's seeing right now. That doesn't even get into all of the nepotism and incest between these people's parents, regulatory agencies, academia, his girlfriend, her parents. It's all a big club and you ain't in it, to quote the late George Carlin. It's honestly astounding. And I laugh sometimes because I feel like I feel like the Joker watching like the pile of money burn sometimes. I'm like, wow, holy crap. I can't believe they just did that. That's so much money. But if you hold your own keys with Bitcoin, you're not affected by that. So this $180 billion is beyond recovery. No one can ever recover these coins. Well, so their losses were $40 billion. And then the knock-on effects of hedge funds, the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund, other various people who were leveraged on top of them, have it's worth, I mean, it was $140 billion like two months ago. I'm editorializing here and extrapolating. But those are paper losses for these people. Like this hedge fund lost $20 billion because it was all on FTX. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's actually mind-boggling. And the dude finally got arrested like three days ago. What was his, what's Sam Bankman Freed. Bankman, what a great name. <laughs> Just like you gave this guy your money? It's you can't make this stuff bank. up. Thank you. I know. And it's not funny. It's really, it's tragic. But you kind of got to find the humor in things or you'll go insane in this crazy world. No, I understand that. But one silver lining is that Bitcoin is in the spotlight, albeit for negative purposes. But people are, people want a different way of doing things. And maybe this is a bit of a wake-up call and say, this. now we know how not to do it. But now maybe we can discuss some doing it with some sound principles. So I guess we're running a bit short on time, but we do have some time to dive into this. Can you give us maybe a bit of a primer if someone wants to get into Bitcoin and wants to do it for good purposes rather than nefarious? What's the first step that we can take? So we can capitalize on this. It's a good thing, but it was used for a bad purpose. And I have plenty of time coming up if you do. So I'm happy to sure. dive in. Sure, take stuff. as much but, time uh, as you want. Yeah, but first step is get your coins off of the exchange. These dominoes have not stopped falling. And I'll send you a PDF. I have 10 from, it's for Coinbase to a wallet called Sparrow. But the steps are for any, the steps are the same for any exchange. So but I'll send it, you a PDF. If, yeah, I'll, it, I'll go through it, but I'll... But isn't getting all your coins off of the exchange, everybody's rushing to get off the exchange, isn't that like the bank runs that caused the depression or contributed to the depression in the 19, late 20s? Yeah, they didn't have your money then. They don't have it now either. If you want your money, you better go get it while you can. There's women in Lebanon who are holding up banks for their $20,000 deposits. They're like, go back there and get me my money. And if these exchanges are operating on a one-to-one -one reserves, there's no problem here. And they say they are. But would you rather cause the bank run or have your assets frozen? And, and I, that brings in self personal responsibility into that situation where I am now responsible for my coins. I have to write this down and put this in my safe because if I don't, I might lose my coin. But if I leave it on these exchanges as they're having solvency issues, I might lose my coin. So it, it's a risk profile everyone takes, but my... Biggest thing is get your coins off the exchange. If you hold your own keys, how often does your computer actually explode? Like you create backups. One terabyte hard drives are like a hundred dollars now and no one uses a terabyte. If you like actually, or if you just as a backup, unless you're taking 4K videos all the time, like 
If it's for your pictures, your documents, your Bitcoin stuff, you'll have plenty of space. It's data is so cheap now. Get a backup. Write this down on paper. Bitcoin is all of your seeds should go on paper on password book, old fashioned. Don't take a picture of it with your phone. Don't put it in a poem in Dropbox. I say that because someone did and got their funds taken four years later. So yeah, they're scanning your documents. Fun fact. But the first thing would be to get off of the exchange. And if anyone asks you for these instructions, also I'll share you this PDF and it's literally tense. And that's what I do now is I help people do build Bitcoin fundamentals. That's what my website is. I host the meetups in Tampa. I'm doing this weekly. It's not as hard as people think. The tools are much better now. But then learn how to use it. It's not scary. It's just like you use Venmo or anytime you've ever used a QR code, that's all it is. It, you're transferring value via QR codes back and forth. My my buddy bought a phone from me yesterday. He sent me a couple hundred bucks on Bitcoin. Instead of doing a bank-to-bank transfer, we don't have to use the banks anymore. We can move money around our, like between ourselves without an intermediary. It's a comfort blanket at this point for a lot of people. Like, I want to make sure I, I don't get defrauded by this so I can, get, so I can charge this back. But they have people who charge back as frauds. So it's, it, the holes it plugs, it's an old Bugs Bunny thing. He plugs one hole and no one pops up next to it and he's plugging that hole and, he's, and then he's getting all over the place trying to plug all the holes. As, as, and we're in a sinking ship financially. So... Yeah, first step for people would just be get your coins off the exchange. And then just like send a buck or two to your friends. I tip I tip my the local place I go every Tuesday for Taco Tuesday. I tip my bartender in Bitcoin now. It's super easy. It's very simple, especially for mobile wallets. There's a thing called Moon, which is M-U-U-N, not M-O-N. It incorporates Lightning Network into it. So it may, like I said earlier about Bitcoin being slow and expensive to use, this is instant. And you can send one stat on this network instantly. So you can send 100 millionth of a Bitcoin for no fees across Lightning Network to your friend or 10 bucks to my bartender. And when people see that and it shows up in their wallet immediately, they're like, oh, wait, what? It's a good, it's a good moment for people. So you want to get more people involved. You want to get more people involved in using Bitcoin. Yeah, what we're doing here is building an alternative. Like most, let's say, upheavals in current orders, monetary, politically, or otherwise, tend to not be the most pleasant. This seems to be a pleasant alternative. We don't have to blow up the global financial order and then build from the ashes. We can build our own rails so that by the time those are rusted through, we've been operating on. I am mostly on a Bitcoin standard at this point. Most 90% of my wealth is in either the house that I just bought or so I now have a mortgage on. So I don't know if that's wealth, but most of it is in Bitcoin at this point. And the tools have gotten much better, much, much better in the, in the past couple of years. All right. Okay. Now I'm bringing this up because my business is podcast production. <clears throat> so all of my clients, none of my clients are close to me, so they can't send a check. I use Zelle sometimes, which takes off some of the fees, a lot of the fees. But just recently, I just got paid from a client via PayPal, and it was like $30 in fees for PayPal's fees, and then to transfer to my bank was another 10 bucks. It was $30, $32 total on one transaction, and it's, that's like half of one episode that I produced just to pay PayPal. Right. So what can I do? That's more expensive than a wire. It's crazy. But it's easy and it works. And my clients, they have a credit card. I that's I don't have a, any other way to 
use a credit card, even if I had a system with 1%, it's still crazy fees. And I'm using US dollars, which are always problematic for a number of reasons. But what can I do to get started? Could I just set up a, because while you were talking, I just set up a moon wallet. Can I share this QR code with them and say, send X amount of send such and such Bitcoin to me? Yeah. So what you can actually do is you can invoice them in that wallet. So if they owe you $120, you can put in 120 USD and then that QR code, when they scan it, will auto populate the amount they have to pay you. It'll calculate the amount of Bitcoin required that equals 120 at the moment. So it'll do that and then boom, sent in your wallet. You now have that money. You're not waiting for it to clear. You're not waiting for it to go in your bank account. You didn't pay $30 in fees. It took you 30 seconds. Um, but you said you use Zelle a lot. There is a decentralized exchange called BISC, and it's B-I-S-Q, yes. And BISC works really well with Zelle. That's how I used a lot of Zelle. So that wouldn't necessarily be for people paying you in Bitcoin, but it would be a way for you to get Bitcoin through Zelle. You Zelle some person, and then they pay you in Bitcoin. And then so that, that kind of gives you Bitcoin. That It's a way, to, a way for you to buy it. But for people, all you got to do is send them a QR code or an address they can copy and paste. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I've got this really long address and then a QR code. <laughs> and you just copy that or you share it with whoever. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. so those Lightning wallets work better like in person or if you have a video chat or you send in an email. It's a QR code. I mean, anything that they can just scan with their phone or if you copy and paste, I put that in my Sparrow wallet and I can send it from my desktop wallet to you. It's very nice to use. The, user, the UX is good on it. But there's no risk of sharing a QR code. It's not like someone can steal your Bitcoin this is primarily solely to pay you. Yes, yes. So actually, that's a very good question. A lot of the fraud that happens, people getting their money stolen, is because our banking system is a push and pull system. If I have your bank account accounting number, I can pull from your account. If I have your Bitcoin address, all I can do is look at it. You can o- you can only send from a Bitcoin address. You can't, you know, be taken from like the you have to sign the transaction for it to go out. But yeah, no, that because that, uh, that's a good question. That I should actually add that to my 101 stuff because a lot of people don't, because that's a lot of, that's where a lot of the Bank Secrecy Act and all these things are meant to protect us. They leave us open to all these various vulnerabilities. If you post a picture of your debit card somewhere, oh, there you go, there goes all your money. But if you post a picture of your Bitcoin address, all you've done is exposed your balance. So, you know, you've lost privacy, but you didn't lose your money. This is complicated stuff. There's a lot of it. That's a big reason why I say Bitcoin only. I don't do the other crypto stuff because it's already been an hour. And, <laughs> and I'm, and like, and I'm more confused than when we started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. So it really simplifies things for everyone to just but that, that's why, keep it in Bitcoin. That's why we have this on digits so people can re-listen. I'm going to have thorough show notes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make this show notes. It's going to be jns.media forward slash Bitcoin. I'm actually going to create a page that will have these show notes on it and then other resources related to Bitcoin. So I'm going to create that as soon as we're done on the call. Speaking of which... Yeah, and I have a bunch of little... I have a bunch of beginner resources. I have like a little glossary, like some basic cybersecurity stuff. Yeah. I can send that to you if you want If you want to post that in your Bitcoin section. I can do that or we can have people go to your website. You're right. I do have my own website that I should be uh, marketing more, but I'm an engineer. I'm not a salesman. You do Bitcoin. I'll do marketing. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. So if you want these resources, it's bitcoinbay.live. Okay. And I'll have that on, I'll have that on the show notes. 
All right. I wish I could go longer, but my brain is like a big bowl of oatmeal right now. And I just, I cannot take any more. I really cannot. So I would love to do a round two as soon as I can understand what we've talked about. Yeah, I made it through the first half of my beginner course today, essentially. I had my little curriculum up with my notes and bullet points. So this is when we would break for lunch. <laughs> and we would come back for a second half. All right, let's break for a couple of weeks and maybe do a round two so we can <laughs> get, get the second half of the presentation. All right, Wesley Schlemmer is my guest. And again, his website is bitcoinbay.live. He knows his stuff and he's got a principled approach to something that's confusing and, as we recently found out, is easy to be taken advantage of if you don't know what you're doing. But this guy, he is doing it. He's doing the right thing for the right reasons. So we appreciate your time, man. Appreciate the kind words. Yeah. And if anyone is interested, I do one-on-one -on -one consulting. I've been doing the via FaceTime recently. Find all that on my website. We're adding resources and stuff there. But yeah, I appreciate you having me on here, James. To get to know James and Sada on a deeper level and to learn how to support our little show, go to Vojtan.com. That's V-O-J-D-A-A-N.com.